Hi everybody, I'm Arlen Walker and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland and today I am joined by another interview guest. I have uh, Ellie Lawson, who is the designer of the game Battles for Prydain, the uh, hex and counter tabletop war game that uh, is very cool and that I showed you guys before and now we get to talk to the designer about the game. So um, that's very exciting. So uh, thanks. First off, thanks for, for being here, Ellie. Um, Thank you for inviting me. And yeah, let us get into it. So um, the, the first, so I sent you a list of interview questions and why don't we just uh, start at the beginning. So what what got you interested in, uh, for those of you who don't know in the audience, Battles for Perdane specifically covers battles in Britain from 450 AD to 650 AD in the, the period that is um, referred to either as the early medieval period or the Dark Ages. Um, sometimes there's discussion of the migration period in there too. Um, and... That is a period without a whole lot of evidence relative to some other periods in history in terms of um, our our knowledge about it. So I suppose that leads to the obvious question is why that era? Um, what got you interested in that period of history and, and where did you go from there? You know, it's always it's a it's always been a, an interesting period in history. Um, and of course, since Britain is the frontier of the empire or was at that time, um, sort of if you look at like late antiquity and as the Roman Empire is falling and everything uh, on the continent and elsewhere, you, there's, there's a lot, there's still a lot of recorded history going on and you don't have a lot, you know, coming out of Britain. There's, there, you're sort of, it really is sort of the dark age that was starting there. Um, I would say like probably a lot of guys, you know, a lot of young young kids or whatever. I was fascinated with King Arthur, and when I when I was growing up, and this is as a young man. I mean, I'm talking, you know, elementary school age. I was reading King Arthur books and this night, the Shining Knights, and this kind of thing. And my father, who's actually a, a war gamer, got me started, and also a history buff. He was the one that was kind of like, yeah, you know, there's this real this idea of a real King Arthur and what he was really doing, and. Um, so, so I sort of even as a young man, I was I would read on I was started reading on that and. Uh, um, sort of the how anachronistic the shining knights thing were and how that where this actually came from um, and it was always in the back of my mind it was always something that I was really interested in I read um, I want to say it was a military history of King Arthur is the book that it was called is from Barnes and Noble Press it's actually in the list of sources mm -hmm. uh, and I read that a long time ago and it actually it was actually really interesting um, but again didn't have a great historical context you know to put it into because um, uh, you know, nobody really knew what was going on. So it's like, what, what does this really mean? Um, I would say that my interest, uh, it probably sort of was on a back burner until uh, probably what really happened was two things in the gaming. Well, one of them was in the gaming world, which was Mythic Britain uh, was a supplement for role playing. It was actually for RuneQuest 6th edition. Anyway, it's by um, uh, Design Mechanism. And I, it was, it's, a great, it's a great book. I mean, they did a lot of research um, about the period. Um, and, uh, and so just looking at it, that's from, that's for a role-playing game, but I, but I got it because I liked the, the, the period and I was reading it. So this is just great stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of historical background and a lot of, you know, again, sort of, sort of summarizing, uh, a, a, a digest of that era. 
And then I read um, uh, the Warlord trilogy by Bernard uh, Cornwell, um, which if you're a reader, again, it's, it's not, it's historical fiction, of course. And I think it's very well researched. There's some anachronisms of like anything, but um, it's a great book. I mean, it's absolutely just, you can't put it down. And that was where I started. Um, and this was probably, you're probably going on um, 10, almost 10 years ago, probably when this took place. So um, I started reading the battle scenes in that book and, and wanting to recreate it. And if you look around in, in commercial war gaming, uh, board gaming, there's nothing. I mean, there's really for this, for this period, it's just, I think that it's hard. Number one, I discovered that when it comes to sitting down and making a game, you know, you want to be able to research it and put something. There's really not a lot out there. It took, it's a lot of supposition and a lot of synthesis of, of sources. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I don't think that there was really a lot to go on. It turns out that in the miniatures world, there's a, there's a lot more of this. So you can go online and look, there's a bunch of companies. I don't know them off hands. I, I don't do as much miniatures gaming, but there are, um, uh, you know, series of, of, British and Saxon and Viking um, 15 millimeter uh, miniatures and people actually do a, quite a bit of, of uh, miniatures gaming, you know, where they'll do this on a tabletop. Um, but board gaming and with hex and counter things, which is what I do, there was really very little. Um, so I started just thinking that I would try to recreate the battles with um, the pre-stags, which I don't know if that's a very old uh, SPI system from the 70s. Um, that was designed originally to be able to sort of accommodate any kind of warfare from chariots all the way up to about, you know, early fire, uh, uh, firepower, gunpowder. And um, using the rules as written, I would, I would sort of research a battle or something and sort of set something up and then try to play it with the, with the pre-stags rules. And I just wasn't getting the results that I, that I felt like I should be, <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't, mm -hmm. this wasn't uh, uh, accomplishing what I thought it should. So I started making house rules for pre-stacks. And, and at the, my, my list of house rules just grew and grew and grew until it was longer than the original pre-stacks rule book, which is only about four pages. And I just sat there and I says, I don't, I'm not playing pre-stacks anymore. I'm, I'm doing a whole different, <laughs> it's a whole different project. And at that point, that was probably about five years ago, I just, I scrapped it. I says, look, I'm just gonna start from scratch here. Um, and it was very, I mean, it was very ambitious. It was, it's, I never really set out to be a designer. I like to play more than design. Um, this was a huge project. Um, so it took me about three years just to, as I, as I started looking into it, um, I found, uh, and stop me if I'm, if I'm talking too much, by the way, I know I can, no, no, I can no. go great. on. I can go on for hours about this. Well, and, and a little um, bit of this is in the, the books in terms of your commentary, yeah, yeah. but obviously I, I can't imagine that too many people uh, who listen to the interview are going to go do research in the books before right, right. listening to the check. interview. Right. Um, yeah, I know. And some of it is touched on, but, uh, but that was, that was, that was how it all started. And I started um, looking for really for more battle information to come up with battles. I say, well, how am I going to, uh, to come up with the situations, the scenarios? Um, and, and as I researched more and more and more, you know, that led me to reading battle poetry. Um, that led me to um, archaeological um, uh, research uh, in terms of, you know, what what were the weapons and what were people doing. Um, the, the one of the things that actually that I learned was the 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 preponderance of cavalry. I thought the cavalry was a novelty, and found it turns out that probably it was 
was a huge part of the British uh, style of warfare, which required me to pretty much start the whole thing over from scratch. Um, and then I always envisioned, you know, this sort of British versus Saxon, um, you know, the Saxons were attacking and the Britons were holding them off. And when you really delve into the period, you find out that at the end of the day, everybody was fighting everybody. The, the British were fighting the British because they were all a bunch of different little kingdoms after the Romans left, probably tribes and whatnot. Um, and the Saxons spent as much time, Anglo-Saxons, there were different groups that didn't like each other, the Angles and the Jutes and the Saxons, and they started separate kingdoms and they fought each other as much as they fought anybody. And so, you know, I ended up, you know, there are scenarios where, where you know, Saxons are fighting Saxons and there's even some Irish and there's, um, you know, uh, 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 Brit, a lot of British fighting British, which is actually, again, I just just fell into it. It was, it was just so fascinating. Um, and uh, I almost, every time I picked up a book or something, I, I got a new idea for a new scenario and it just grew from there. You know, it was a, it was a lot of fun, but there was a lot of, it was a lot of work because I wanted to make it as, I, I don't know how you make it accurate because we'll never know. You know, we'll never know what really, well, I mean, maybe someday they'll come up with the breakthrough, but um at, at, at the current state of the art, there's no way to really know for sure, but I wanted to make something plausible, something that felt to me like it conveyed the um, the sense that I got when I read the epic poetry, for instance. Um, so, and that was really what I was trying to accomplish. I wanted it to be, like I put like plausible. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's accurate uh, in terms of a simulation, but I wanted it to be something where I say, it is a simulation of something. It, it's intended to be more of a simulation or at least as much of a simulation as it is a game, um, you know, just a you know, just pushing markers around for the sake of doing it. I wanted to say, here's what we're trying to portray, and at the same time, say, when I look at this period and read about it, um, this is this is sort of a depiction of what I think was going on. And so you've got you know units that I tried to make behave in in historical ways, you know, to encourage people to use them in historical ways. Um, you know, I also chiseled down the period. Originally, I was looking at battles all the way up into the Viking invasions. Um, and then I felt like because of what I was looking at, especially with the heroic combat and these things, it was so specialized that I thought covering, you know, 500 years of warfare with this same very idiosyncratic system just wasn't going to just wasn't going to do it. You know, so I so I narrowed it down to this uh, much better defined period where I think after that battles got larger and probably more impersonal and and some of the um, uh, elements that I had in my rule set didn't didn't necessarily apply as much. So the scale changed, I think. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's awesome. I'm going to try to I'm, I'm trying to remember all the different pieces that I wanted to comment on. Um, let's see. So Mythic Britain and the Warlord trilogy. Um, huh? So my a lot of my stuff is actually more focused on RPGs than than war games uh -huh. generally. So I'm, I'm definitely familiar with uh, RuneQuest 6 and Mithras uh -huh. and Mythic Britain. Um, and yeah, it's a great it's a great supplement. Um, and the the winter, the winter king and uh -huh. enemy of God and Excalibur. Uh, yeah. Excalibur. Excalibur, uh -huh. the last one. Yeah. Great, yeah. great fun books and a really interesting kind of synthesis of because there's a lot of of details from those stories that come from the sort of later myths that you'll recognize, which is, right, is I right. think one of the, the sort of draws of that series that he's mm -hmm. 
he's figured out how to work in you know he doesn't have the actual sword in the stone moment quite like it is in right. in thomas mallory but he does have bits and pieces of the the story in a version that is as much mm -hmm. sort of tra darker. he transplants that back into you know sort of this earlier period again there's not knights in shining armor of the you know, 13th, 14th century, he's going back into um, sort of this more, you know, fifth century kind of time frame and, and recasting those, a lot of those tales. And uh, yeah, like his his retelling of uh, Tristan and Isolde, I thought was, I mean, I can read that. I could read that again right now. I just, I, the way he, the way he transplanted it and the way he works it out and everything, I think is just fascinating. So yeah, great, great bunch of books. Yeah. Well, I, so I read, I, I read all three of them. I was in, seventh or eighth grade which now is about uh 13 years ago mm -hmm. um and that was that was a big influence on me getting interested in in arthur because like you i had read um I, i'm pretty sure it was roger lancelin green's version of mm -hmm. the the whole mythos and i there were bits of it that i really loved and there were a lot of it that i was yeah, not 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 yeah, as yeah. as enthralled but, with, and and I, I found that I'm much more enthralled with the um the sort of stories that it came from the the Jeffrey of Monmouth and the um the earlier kind of more medieval versions of Arthur, mm -hmm. and and went back, and then I read Jeffrey Ash's The Discovery of Arthur. Must have been mm -hmm. 2009, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's a book where he, he puts forward the theory that this, this character for, for anybody who doesn't know, you may know, um, but there's this character, Rio Thamus, uh -huh. who, um, apparently either was from the North of France or was from Britain and brought an army to the North of France that was mm -hmm. defeated by the barbarians in an attempt to kind of save what remained of the, the sort of post-Roman kingdoms in France. And his theory is that that is, uh, the basis for Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey of Monmouth's King Arthur, who does something similar in a war against the Roman Empire. Empire. He goes to Constantinople or... He, he ends yeah, up in yeah. In, in Jeffrey of Monmouth, he, he makes it all the way to Rome and is crowned yeah. emperor of the West and all this sort of stuff before right. it turns out that Mordred is, is uh, banging Guinevere and he has to go back and deal with yeah. that um, much more elaborate than the kind of story of a, a you know, a, a sort of heroic, um, still heroic, but a, a leader of men who probably had, you know, 500 or a thousand uh, men under his command who kind of comes to try to save the, the remaining kingdoms and ends up not doing very well in, in combat against the, the barbarians. Um, but all of that was definitely a big influence on me getting into it. And then, of course, my, my stuff is called Live from Pelham's Wasteland. So it's clear that I and, and King Pelham and Balin and that, mm -hmm. that element of the story um, obviously is not historical Arthur. That's all <laughs> Thomas Mallory's invention from okay. The Wars of the Roses. But it's, it's fascinating to me uh, as well. So I, I, I'm really oh, yeah. interested in both, both sides of it, um, uh -huh. which is... Me a, too. Yeah, I think uh, uh, a fun perspective. All right, so here's a question. For somebody who's interested in the, the historical period that we're talking about, where would you recommend that they start? Um, you know, I'm, try I'm trying to think. 
Um, so, so where I started, but I don't know if this is a great place uh, to start for general info, but the books that got that really got me thinking were, and I brought it over here, one of his Lords of Battle. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this is by Stephen Evans. And another good one, this is actually not a bad one to start with, is Peter Marin, Battles of the Dark Ages. I don't know if you can see that because it's kind of, there's yeah. a little bit of glare, but um, that was, pro Battles of the Dark Ages is probably the one that set me off because it's, it's, it's focused um, mostly on the military history, of course. So, you know, it's not a, necessarily a great uh, digest or overview of the historical period, um, but, you know, necessarily, except in as much as it impacts the military um, size, but it has a real good uh, uh, discussion of, you know, sort of the tactics such as we know about them and the weapons. Um, and then he goes into, and he actually has a very, um, very good at the end uh, uh, list of every battle that we know about, be it from poetry, be it from other sources, be it from uh, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. And he sort of summarizes when it happened, who was there. And, so, and that's also, I mean, a lot of my scenarios came right from that. I went to, hey, that's a good one. Hey, that's a good one, you know. Um, so that's a real good place from the military standpoint. I think that's the one that really got me started. Um, the, uh, you know, actually, let me look because I, I'm forgetting the name of the, uh, and a lot of people have criticized um, John Morris, Age of Arthur. Great big book. I've got it. Yeah. Sitting yeah. Over. Yeah. So, so um, that one has, that one was the, the, I don't know if there, if it was revised, the version that I used when I was researching this and I, and I have it with my books is, was from 1973. Yeah. It's a little bit outdated, but it's a very good, um, uh, again, a very good overview. And a lot of people have criticized some of his conclusions and whatnot, but he's got a lot of good information in there. The problem with it, of course, is that it's, you know, what, 800 pages or something. So it's, yeah. so it's, a, it's, a, it's an encyclopedia. So it's not maybe light reading. And I'll tell you, I started, I sat down to read, I said, I'm going to read this. I read a lot of books cover to cover. I said, I'm going to just read these. And I, that was one that I read quite a bit. And then I said, I'm going to skim it because I just, I was never, I was, I was just, I'm trying to design a game. I couldn't read all 800 pages, but um but that's but that's a, that's actually a good one. Um, it has a lot of good general information. Um, the the other one that I liked was um, well, see that was let me see, Britain in the end of the Roman Empire was by Ken Dark. That's a little bit um, dense. He's an archaeologist. Um, I want to say that it was the decline and fall of Roman Britain by Neil Faulkner. I enjoy, I enjoyed that one. I had a lot of. That was a lot more about the Roman period, so it's a lot more about the transition. Um, but Again, it's it it's hard to distinguish when did it end be when was it no longer Roman Britain and when was it something else. So again, I when I was looking at this, I was trying to find a commonality between those things and saying these guys might have fought this way because that's what they were doing right at the end, and um, some of those tactics probably carried over. So that was a good one um, to sort of lead up to that period in the fall. It had a lot of good information in it. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, I think there's a there's a lot of uh, you have to kind of um, uh, dig around. I think uh, um, there are two books, two more books that I really liked. Um, well, I like Gidlow. Have you ever read Christopher Gidlow? Um, uh, of Revealing King Arthur. Those are King Arthur books, but I don't think I have read any Gidlow. Those I really enjoyed, but they're fo they're focused mostly on Arthur, um, Laycock's uh, Stuart Laycock, 
um, Britannia, the failed state, and warlords, the struggle for power in post-Roman Britain, um, are also, they are, it's, it's, they're very interesting. Again, not necessarily a great digest, but it's a great look at, you know, his theories about, he, he actually was, among other things, among, as well as being a, an antiquarian, he was an aid worker in Bosnia for many years. And so he uses his observations from Bosnia to, you know, to say, here, you started out with these big countries that fell apart into warring states. You know, and, and failed states, and he says this is the pattern that he applies, in a sense, to um, to post-Roman Britain, and you know, seeing things like mercenaries and military interventions and whatnot, and how they sort of applied and uses historical evidence, and it's actually a really interesting take on it. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's as valid as anything we have. So Stuart Laycock is another very interesting uh, uh, read about that period. Yeah. Well, and of course, if anybody wants to go back to some of the original poetry, a lot of the translations are in uh, oh. public domain by now. Egadoth, uh -huh. and, and um, you could read Gildas for free online and draw your conclusions from that. Yeah. That's kind of a difficult process. But. I, I read so I read a lot of poetry, and I actually my, now my father again. I, I blame my dad for this. He's a linguist of all uh, things, so. Yeah. He says, no, 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 you can't, you can't read it in English. You gotta, you gotta read it in Welsh and then compare translations and whatnot, which I did. And, uh, I don't, I don't read Welsh. I mean, I don't, but I had it in, you know, you have it in the, in the Welsh. And so, which was very interesting. Uh, and you can learn a lot between different translations because people, different people translate, translate it differently. So again, you have, this is, that's a whole new, that's a whole different take on it. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the poetry, um, from the standpoint of, uh, historical, you know, gaining historical insight isn't very useful. I mean, some of it's very interesting. Some of it, honestly, I, I look at it like I think about it. Um, I read someplace, somebody was saying it's like pop music, you know what I mean? Or Shakespeare, you know, we look at Shakespeare and go, man, this guy was great. In the day he was writing, this was pop. It was just, it was bubble gum. It was, he just threw it out there for people. And so we look at these, these songs that these guys wrote and we go, oh, it's amazing poetry from, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred years ago. And I mean, this was throwaway stuff for some of these guys. You look at it and you go, I mean, come on, this is just, it's, I mean, it's not bad. It's kind of like uh, Ariana Grande or something. You know, I don't know, it's going to come and go. I shouldn't, I don't know if I don't want to offend anybody, but whatever, you know, whatever your pop stars. Um, some of it's actually really good. Egan is great. Um, read that, what what we have of it um, in a couple of versions. That's a bit, that was a big source. I mean, because that has everything in there about, uh, you know, um, battles and as much as we have about tactics and how they prepared for battle and everything. And there's a couple of others. I have a couple of um, the the big the big books with the with the red book and the black book and you know um, and and I had to go through those poem by poem to find ones that had references to battles, military things, armor, you know. Um, and again, all these things are sort of offhand, but just trying to. A lot of it was just we're sad that he died and, you know, he's a great guy or whatever. And that wasn't as useful. But every now and then they would include some of these um, um, uh, details that were, you know, a lot has been made. I mean, somebody will just say he had a ring and then everyone will write a, a whole paper about saying clearly they wore rings in combat because one guy wrote about it in one poem someplace. You know, this is all we have. So, yeah. you know, it, a lot yeah. of stuff gets extrapolated from a little bit of info, you know, so. Well, and of course, then then you have to go to the archaeology because 
they don't include pictures of any of the stuff they describe and right. you, you got to figure out, okay, well, what, what did their, you know, their helmets and their armor, when they say those words, what does that mean? And right. all of that sort of stuff. So, um, so we should, it seems like one of the draws, the big draw of the period, right. Is this guy named Arthur who may or may not mm -hmm. have existed. Um, not, not maybe the most contentious question on the list, but what do you think about about historical versus non-historical Arthur versus potentially historical versus like Welsh spirit fighting back against the right. the barbarians somehow or yeah well you know it's so so first of all I really and I I don't know if it's just wishful thinking you know sort of a, from from my childhood I really believe it I believe that there was an Arthur. You know, I don't know. Uh, I don't think that he was a king. I don't know exactly what he did or where he came from. You know, we don't know all those things, but I believe there was an Arthur. Um, and I, and again, in my, in the notes in the game, I mentioned, and I think this came from, uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, I, I want to give him credit because it was his, it was his idea. Um, Gidlow, Christopher Gidlow, who actually said that if you look at the, the, the references for for Baden, the Battle of Baden Hill. Um, you know, there's the there's a mention in the Welsh annals, and then there's the battle poem talking about Arthur, and those sources have really have nothing to do with each other, um, and they both credit the battles. They both credit Arthur with victory at that battle. Mm -hmm. So so. The way that he frames it, which I like, is he says, first of all, no place else in any other source anywhere does anybody ever say this guy won the battle, the battle band specifically. Nobody, they never give that credit to anybody else. The only person that they ever credit that with it is Arthur. And so you have to believe then that if there's no such thing as Arthur, if there wasn't a guy named Arthur fighting these battles at that time, that means that number one, two different people for some reason conspired to change the Welsh annals and write this guy, Arthur in. And then this guy that wrote the, the battle poem, you know, the list of Arthur's battles um, with, and the bathing his, the victor there at the end. One guy was writing a song. One guy was writing the annals and they got together and decided, let's just put this guy Arthur in here for some reason. And then at the same time, you've got to say no other song, no other annals, no other anything anywhere recorded a different victor. There's no other evidence that anybody else won the battle. So it's possible. I mean, you could say that for some reason he was a folk hero. He was a made up name. The guy that wrote the annals didn't know what he was talking about. You know, who knows? And so this name just got incorporated into these things. And you could say that maybe there's 1500 songs about this other guy named Jed that won the battle and they just all got destroyed because a lot of stuff didn't survive. But again, you know, his take is that Occam's razor argues that the best, you know, the easiest conclusion here is that there was a guy named Arthur and he won this battle, you know, again, just with the evidence that we have. And I like that. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense, to be honest with you, because you have to jump through a lot of hoops to argue that there wasn't an Arthur. And you can argue about, you know, again, where did he come from? What was he doing? How did he win the battle? You know, was he British? Was he a some of the books that I read said that he was a that he was a Germanic tribesman who was a mercenary. 
some people said that he was a guy, you know, like one of these uh, uh, barbarian generals, because a lot of the guys in, in late antiquity were, um, you know, non-Roman in that sense. And they were warriors that were essentially mercenaries in a sense, hired to fight. And God knows where he came from. He may not have been British. Um, nobody knows. And you can argue about that, but you can't deny that two people and the only records that survived to today and they're different records claim that this guy won the battle. So why, why would they do that? Why did everybody just decide that he won and don't remember anything else about what's going on? So again, Occam's razor sort of supports that. I think it's a good argument. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I would just be devastated to find out it wasn't true. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm definitely a, um, as much as anything, I think it's sort of a more interesting story of Arthur is real, and that is yeah, is a big draw for me. That kind of, you know, the 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 the, you know, it, it's not John Borman's Excalibur. Definitely, it's right. not going to be like Thomas Mallory. It's not even going to be Jeffrey Monmouth's version of the story. But right. the idea that there was somebody named Arthur who did this kind of important thing, at least for the 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 time because I think in your in your um, you cited somebody else but I can't remember but in your commentary you talked about the idea that um, Clovis of the Franks took like thirty years to conquer his kingdom and the Anglo Saxons took closer to one hundred and fifty to carve mm -hmm. out England um, and that that is a a testament to what somebody did a lot mm -hmm. of somebody's did probably but that right. that you know somebody was There's involved situation yeah. And there's no question, regardless who won it, the Battle of Bathen set them back. I mean, that was a that was a big setback. I mean, yeah. in southern in southern Britain at the time, it it put an end to I think a series of victories uh, for a for a generation or so, whatever whatever time period. Um, yeah, so so clearly it was a decisive um, you know period, a decisive battle. So yeah. But it's no, too bad. Do you? So uh, I don't know if you know the story that Jeffrey Monmouth. Um, when accused of fabricating Arthur because Gildas doesn't mention Arthur's name at all. Mm -hmm. um, right. His theory is that Gildas had a brother who Arthur killed oh. and that uh, Gildas threw out the manuscript that he was writing about Arthur after mm -hmm. finding out that he killed him um, mm -hmm. because Arthur was such a stand-up guy that, and Gildas' brother was apparently a pirate instead of a monk and so uh -huh. he had to put him to death, which is... Yeah, <laughs> I've had. Well, I've I have. I've heard versions of that. Um, yeah, that uh, Gildas didn't mention him, and it's interesting that Gildas didn't mention anybody again. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. he doesn't say who won, but he doesn't say you know who didn't win. He doesn't say anything. You know, yep. um, so again, it's it's an interesting. You know, you'd think that he would mention. That's the only. That's the best source that we have, really. You know, for that period, and yep. he dances around that. So again, I, I mean. I, Again, it makes sense. Who knows if it's true? I've heard that, yeah, that Arthur, there was a family, you know, there was a family feud going on. And so Gildas was just refused to give Arthur any credit for that. So, well, or, um, or even the possibility that Gildas thought everybody knew because it was the biggest event that had right. happened around right. that period. You don't so. have to, you don't have to say it because everybody knows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what got you, you mentioned your dad got you into war games. Um, mm -hmm. Was that at a just like at a young age playing around the the table as soon as as soon as you could move the counters he was ready for you to play the other side type thing yeah it's, it's funny because my father was uh you know he's he's been board gaming since since the, the, it was invented you know like charles roberts back in the 
back in the late, late fifties or whatever. And, uh, so when I was growing up, I mean, preschool, even, um, you know, my dad would, would be getting, this was, this was back in the SPI days. And so he'd get a bunch of stuff from SPI and UPS would pull up and he'd have, and I was just fascinated. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what it was. I didn't, I didn't even know if I knew what it was at that time, but it, I knew it was very interesting to me. Um, and, uh, so as soon as I was, I mean, I was about five years old, he taught me how to play one of the, it was the, the SPI Island battles quad and we were playing Leyte. Um, and, uh, and, you know, again, he sat me down, kind of, we talked about the campaign. Why did this go on? You know, my grandfather had been in world war two in the Pacific too. So there was a little bit of a tie there. Um, and, uh, so it was very, you know, and, and just from there I was hooked. And so I play, I mean, I play, I'll play anything. I mean, my family knows I'm a gamer. Um, I have, I collect, I, I don't like to collect. I don't like to be a collector, but I've become a collector. I like to be a player more than anything. Um, but I, I'm, I was, I cut my teeth on hex encounter war game and I've been doing it literally since I could walk. Um, and I just love it. I, I love everything about it, but I, I went, you know, I love role playing, played a lot of role playing, uh, when I was growing up and still would honestly. Um, but my, I'm raising all girls and they won't go near it. Um, and with work and whatnot, I don't have time. I tried, I, I introduced them to Dungeons and Dragons. We had fun, but it didn't really catch on. Um, and then, you know, we play all the other, you know, we play risk and we play all, you know, and some Euro games and we play anything, but, uh, uh, hex encounter gaming is, is probably my first love and, and I'll always go back to it, you know? So, yeah, Absolutely. Oh, that's great. And, uh, you kind of told the story of what, um, what it took to get you to the point of deciding that you needed to design your own game. That is <laughs> when, when pre-stags was overtaken by oh. the house rules <laughs> right. that, that that's when it needed to become battles for Perdane. But, uh, how did you, what did you actually do to go about doing it? Um, in terms of, of making the game, you know, it was, um, it, it, it was, it went through a lot of different iterations. I mean, like I say, it was a, it was a, it was about a three year process between, cause I started designing the game. Uh, I started fooling around with, with the, with the pre-stags and whatnot at the same time as I was doing my research. So this thing just went through, I mean, I read these rules, reread them and retyped them and added and changed until my brain was just mush. I mean, I was having dreams about, about some of the, the, the things and the rules. Um, and I was, you know, so, so went through a lot of different iterations originally, like I say, it was mostly going to be uh, the, the shield walls. I mean, that's what I sort of envisioned was that you had, um, these whole sort of a holdover from guys who were, you know, maybe trained by the Romans or something. It makes a lot of sense. That's an easy way to fight. You just line up your shields and spears and everyone just sits there and bash each other until somebody runs away. And so I started out really by just, I made some homemade spearman counters and I would line them up and then I, then I would fight just rows of spearmen trying to calibrate the combat results table so that I would say, what what I was seeing originally, which I really liked, was that just just because of the the number of hits and the way it worked, you would have after about three or four turns of just grinding, you know, somebody somewhere would just fall apart, and then it would just become like a route. And I said, this is like it had a really good feel, um, you know, and and I sort of just added the other elements into that uh, originally, and then like I say, cavalry took on a life of its own because I realized really how important it was to the whole battle. So that became a, a huge project trying to overhaul that and integrate it. Um, and, you know, making rules for javelins and making those work right. So they're not too powerful, but
but they're not too weak. And again, I, I think I accomplished what I was trying to accomplish, you know. Um, and then the other thing was the heroic combat rules, um, which I was like, you just, you have to have something. Um, because this was a key element. Every place, no matter what you read, heroes and uh, individual challenges and whatnot was a huge part of the battle. Um, and so when we were playing and play testing, you have uh, two lines of people with shields and they're hard to penetrate because they're just kind of bashing against each other. And so you can challenge people to heroic combat. The heroes can, and that can force them or encourage them to drop their shields and go in and have a fight, but it breaks the line. So it's one of the tactics you can use to, to start penetrating the shield wall and breaking the line. Um, and again, it sort of was as well as I, I, we found it just a lot of fun when we were playtesting just to, you know, challenge each other, these individual combats. Um, uh, it was a, it was another tool in the toolbox to try to break that line and start wearing down your opponent. It was just another tool in the toolbox as well as javelins from the, uh, cavalry. And really the, the battle ends up being try most of your panic points, which is that's, that's how you determine victory is in these spearmen. And they're behind their shields and they're protected. So how do you start chewing them down so you can, you know, get victory? And so you have various methods of doing that. And that was intended, among other things, to be a way to, to accomplish that, as well as honestly just being fun and chasing after people and, um, you know, enjoyed that. Um, I, ha I hired a graphic designer um, to, to help me because I have no computer, no artistic ability, no computer ability. So I, I hired a... Uh, um, a, a graphic designer to help me with that, a graphic artist. And so we, you know, he, based on some of my sketches and whatnot, he did the maps, he did all the, the books. Um, and then, uh, you know, I had gone to some game group, some gaming companies and said, look, I have this design. Would you take a look at it? And it got some interest. I had people said, hey, you know, send us a prototype. We're always looking for stuff, whatever. And then at the end of the day, I was afraid because, you know, and you, if you've read the book, I put in a lot of my own sort of take on things. I have a, a sort of a um, uh, irreverent uh, uh, approach to some of the to some of the so, things, you know, certainly a um, distinctive voice in the yes. book. And, yeah. and that, that was, you know, that was intentional. That's who I am. I wanted it to be I wanted it to be fun. Um, and again, part of that was just letting off steam because, I mean, really between my my regular job and family obligations and whatnot and working on this put a lot of work into this thing and it was very stressful you know i wanted it to be good i wanted it to accomplish it. and then when i decided hey i've done all this work i'm going to i'm going to publish this trying to come up with a way to do it and i was afraid that if somebody a, a, a publisher a gaming company read that and they were like well you know you got to rewrite this we don't like the tone or something i says well i'm not rewriting anything i did this i want it my i want to do it my way so I uh, I did the 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 counters the the um, units through Game Crafter, which is an online. You know, you send them, you upload your art into their templates, and then they send you the the, the counters. They just laser cut them, um, and then we actually went through another online publisher to do the books and the maps. There was just somebody that could do that. There was a they had a little bit um, uh, more in tune with what I wanted than what Game Crafter offered. Game Crafter is great, by the way, but. Uh, this other publisher did everything and they did them, they folded the maps the way we wanted them and stuff. So we went with that. Um, and, uh, you know, it was pricey. I just, I just said, Hey, I'm just going to do it and I'll print up a bunch of copies and then see what happens. So, you know, that's, that was, and like I say, it started out as a pet project for me just to simulate these battles. And by the time I was done, I was like, I was really happy with how it came out. Honestly, you know, I was, I was, I really enjoyed it. I enjoy playing. I still like playing it. Um, 
And the play testers that I worked with, we had a great time, uh, you know, with the process. And I owe them a lot um, for the time that they put into it. And, uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's like, it's like your baby, you know, how can you not, they, you show everyone you're look at my baby, you know, it's like, I put a lot of time into it. So, yeah. You know, the, well, and you, uh, so my, my box hasn't arrived. Uh, the perils of uh, asking for something for a Christmas present is that instead of just buying it for myself and getting uh, it right away, it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely the I've got digital copies of rule books. And then I don't know if you have used uh, Vassal at all, um, but I assume that you gave permission for the, the Vassal module mm -hmm. that exists of mm -hmm. uh, Battles for Perdain. And so I've seen what all the counters look like and the map and all that sort of stuff. And it's, it's a, a very pretty um, game. You know, the, the icons are really nice. They, they're readable. And um, I really like the idea of, you know, you just flip them over when they go from formed to open and things like that. That's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a nice product. Well, Jeff, uh, my, the artist that worked with me, who was also a not probably not as dedicated to gamer as I am, but had some experience with games, uh, board games and card games. Uh, and we worked together a lot, you know, sort of looking at it again, the icons, that was all him. I mean, I, yeah. I sort of, I, I showed him the pre stacks and I says, you know, this is what I'm working with. And I want something that really that's clean, that's functional. Um, you know, I don't need really a lot of, you know, it doesn't have to be too fancy. Um, something that just gets the point across and, you know, and, uh, and we, he was the one that sort of came up with those icons. And I, I mean, I loved them. I said, this is exactly, again, some people like, you know, they want more, you know, they want the little guys on horses or they want military symbols or some other thing, you know, everyone has their preference. Um, when I saw what he, what the ones that he said, so well, it's perfect. This is, this is what I, this is, I like this right here. So, yeah, no, I, I think they look great. Um, and, and they look great with a whole line of them in up against yeah. each other. It's a, it's a, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a very classic feel, I think, that that um, Hex Encounter Wargaming evokes and that your game definitely evokes that that kind of Napoleonic feel of like mm -hmm. looking out at your army and seeing them all arrayed. And, and that's what I get out of war. One of the big things I get out of Wargaming is not just the the fun of the battle and reading the rules and collecting mm -hmm. the boxes and all that sort of stuff, but this this kind of particular like I, I sort of describe it as it's like Napoleon at Austerlitz and you just huh? look out and see, see your army and think, man, I could, I could just yeah. take on anybody right now. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, it is, it's really neat. Um, it's a good feeling. I mean, that's, and, the, and that's sort of, again, that the, the idea almost like role playing, it's almost like a role playing sense conveyed into the board game. Uh, it's, that's something that's always attracted me too. you know, being, being in command or, you know, being in the, being in, I like actually, um, one of the things that we had talked about, we never, and I never did just because, uh, I didn't get a lot of response on board game geek, but was like making personalized heroes. I told people, I says, if you, you know, we, I could make them with, with the, I have the graphics. I just changed the color on the, on the counter or whatever color you want. And I could send them to game crafters, a little bit expensive, but um, and then that way, if somebody wanted their name on a counter, I could, I could, you know, we could theoretically print up, you know, personalized heroes so that if you wanted, or you, you could call yourself whatever you want, it could be your Dungeons and Dragons character or whatever. And that way, if you wanted to participate in the battles, it was just, not, I was thinking that'd be great. I wish I had done that when I first, uh, you know, uh, uh, started this project and I, um, and I didn't really, I didn't really think about it until later, but, uh, anyway, you know, no, that, um, so we kind of touched on um, the game has a sort of uh, tripartite division to combat, right? Because you have field combat, 
with the the well with everybody um and mm-hmm. then you have javelin combat from the cavalry and then you have this heroic combat thing that um is centered on the heroic units mm-hmm. but then is also other other units can engage in heroic combat they just kind of don't do it as much it seems like mm-hmm. um, so yeah so yeah i mean again it, it, it a lot of it came from um various sources including and you know and again in my in my sources in the book i have even things like uh uh uh, great battles of Alexander from, from Richard Berg, you know, the great battles of history series. Um, because I played that one a long time ago and sort of his point was you have these ordered rows and as long as everybody stays behind their shield and just sits there bashing each other, you're comparatively safe. So, so how do you win the battle? Well, you break the shield walls down and people start fighting. Then you start fighting and then people aren't as well protected. And so that's when casualties start happening. Um, and so originally I had, I, and I wanted to focus on, you know, again, these heroes who were sort of leaving, I think the shield walls, leaving that protection and maybe meeting, you know, other heroes or whatever you want to call them in, in sort of hand-to-hand combat or, you know, heroic combat. Um, and then as I was, as I was, um, as I continued playing the game and continued testing it and whatnot, I found out that, and so everybody in the game can actually participate in heroic combat, which is, you know, sort of, it is a little bit confusing. Only heroes can issue heroic challenges. So they go out to other people and say, hey, you know, so I might be hiding behind my shield wall uh, as a hero because anybody can be and have their shields up. And then another hero might come up and say, hey, why are you hiding behind your shield? Come out and fight me. So these guys change into open formation. They drop their shields. And then they engage in, in hand-to-hand combat. Um, in other cases, like with the stand, like the regular spearmen who aren't heroic, they're not heroes. They don't have any, you know, they don't, they're not, you can call me a coward. I don't care. I'm hiding behind my shield. You have to knock their shields down. You have to disorder them enough through harassment, through bashing them, through flank attacks, through something else to get them to essentially collapse and lose their cohesiveness. And then you can jump on them. And then everybody's just fighting with swords and daggers and whatnot in, in close combat. And that's where in the game, for the most part, um, that's where casualties occur. Because with, as long as everybody's just hiding behind their shields and whatnot, you don't see, you know, they, you take hits, you take hits and that's in order. That's that, you know, they're, they're becoming less ordered, but not necessarily casualties. And then once you jump in the hex and attack them, you know, then you roll, and if you lose your roll, then you die, and then you're removed from the game. And so it's a. Um, I wanted to sort of highlight again and again. This is all from again from battle poetry, from other war games, from other periods of history, like the phalanx and whatnot. The decisiveness of that kind of close combat. So shield wall combat, and I call it field combat because I, I didn't know what else to call it, but it's really, um, you know. People are ordered. They're they're trying to maintain order. They're not necessarily throwing it all to the winds and just trying to get in that come to grips with people. So it's more of a slow grind. So everyone's just kind of sitting there and you're rolling, hoping to to, to cause a gap in the shield wall someplace that you can exploit. Um, and then once you do and you move in there with the, with your opponent, um, hopefully they're disordered. They are um, you know damaged, close to route, something else. Maybe it's a weaker unit um, than you have. You might send your your heroes into attack some spearmen or some, you know, churls, which are like militia. Um, 
And then, and then that's when you're actually going to come in and hopefully win that battle and start eliminating people. Um, it, even if people route, which they can do, because if they lose enough of their, if they take three hits and they, then they route, they leave the field, they're gone. So they actually are done, but it does, it's not, it's more of a benefit to you to actually eliminate them. You want to, I wanted to encourage people to not let them run away. You're supposed to chase them and, and, you know, wipe them out because you don't want this guy to rally his army and come back to fight another day. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that if you start sending your guys out of your wall to get his guys, now you have gaps in your wall. And what happens is the whole line pretty much starts looking like hamburger after a few turns. You have to decide, you know, is it worth it? How do you want to approach it? And um, having done it both ways, it's again, it's one of those, it's one of those, uh, you know, questions, tactical questions that as the commander, you have to decide, well, how am I going to, how am I going to approach this? And it's, uh, you know, it gets interesting actually, I think so. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, tactical decision in terms of um, the the maintenance because, li like you pointed out, you you have to um, break up your own line in order to have the the kind of fluidity of movement and the the um, aggressiveness is dependent upon a, a looser formation that is less defensive, um, and then. You know, if you if you time it wrong, you're kind of SOL because the, sure. they'll just repulse your attack, and then your guys are are out of formation and in trouble and all that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. there's a there's definitely a real I so I I haven't run a full battle yet. I've run a couple of tests. Um, I did some some professional spears against special professional spears and some comatatas against comatatas, and then mm -hmm. I did professional spears versus barbarians and had to about halfway through go back and reread the heroic combat and realize, oh, these barbarians, they ought to be charging in right away and just try right. to smash things up. And right. I I think I had because I think I had four versus four units and the barbarians were not doing very well in field combat. <laughs> And then they totally turned the tide when they charged in and smashed into the the, the British shield wall and and tore it apart. Yeah, if you could find a gap someplace, and it, and I, again, I think it's I think it's it was sort of taken from the idea of these Romans again in the earlier battles where you see a lot more barbarians. You know, I was looking back to these earlier battles where the the Germanic tribes on the say on the continent that would attack Romans, if the Romans could maintain order, stay behind their shields. The barbarians were ferocious in the first five minutes, and if they didn't get anything, then they tended to fall apart. Yep. And I tried to pattern my barbarians. They have an advantage in heroic combat if they can get that far. So it's, yeah. you know, again, you have to roll well. I mean, there's there's luck involved in the game. Um, uh, you have to, you know, sometimes you have to get lucky, um, you, and you have to look for gaps. I mean, that was a, that's an opportunity to maybe let a barbarian comitatus challenge somebody, challenge another comitatus to heroic combat, open up a hole in the line and then you can filter guys through, you know, again, it's a way to, you have to look for ways to break. Um, so yeah, it was, I, and I fiddled with the barbarians for a long time because it, sometimes I, some of it, it was, it was very, uh, they had to be fine tuned the, at the beginning. They were just too powerful. They just mowed everybody down. Then I thinned them out and kind of, you know, rejiggered them. Then they weren't powerful enough. And again, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I felt like again with play testing that I had them kind of where I wanted them at the end, but you know, you, you, you turn these things loose onto uh, a world full of players who are essentially a whole world of blind play testers and people come up with, with things that you didn't, 
realize, you know, when you were doing it, but, uh, yeah. I thought it worked out pretty well, you know? Yeah. No, no, I'm, I, I'm having a blast with, with my messing around and can't wait to get the, get the box and challenge some people to, I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll see if that happens before, you know, pandemic stuff that that's kind yeah, of a problem cool. in terms of playing, playing tabletop war games right now, but yeah, we'll see. Um, so if you, if you had to put into words, what do you think it is that makes battles for Perdain special? Um, a couple of things, I think th the first one that I'm actually very proud of is that as far as I know, and I mean, I believe me, I've done a lot of research on this. Um, this is the only board game, Hex Encounter board game that really covers this period in history, you know, mm. um, in terms of the battles portrayed in, in terms of the, um, uh, the the commentary and the history and the sort of the historical notes that I provided, um, it's just it's never been done before. I mean, and uh, not not to brag too much, but to say this is it. You know, you have um, Pendragon, which is uh, the the uh, a coin game from GMT, which covers this period roughly um, from a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, which, which actually, I want to say, I think I think my game came out first, but I can't remember. It was about the same time. In fact, I. I emailed the designer um, uh, a few times. We talked back and forth about about some things, um, and I listed his game in my. Actually, he must have come out first because I listed his game in my list of sources because I uh, readed the notes. Um, and then the other thing I think is the the synthesis of the of the different types of combat. Um, you know, we didn't. We talked about the others. We didn't even really talk about javelin combat and how how disappointing it was when I was playing with the final rules and you set all these attacks up and your javelins just half the time don't do anything. But I resisted the impulse to make them more powerful because I think that was actually probably, I don't think they were really very effective on average. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes they might work. It was more of a slow grind. So you have to continue to do that. And so that patience and that taking your different they're your different unit types. You've got your cavalry, you've got your spearmen, you've got your comitatus, you've got barbarians, whatever your army might comprise. And you're, you've got these different units and trying to use them in a way, in a cohesive way to get the results that you want. And then kind of like you said, to time that decisive, when are you going to, cavalry actually can make a decent showing in close combat. They tend to get disordered quickly but if they're up against a, a weak opponent or somebody who's already about to um, to collapse or something, so that's a time for you to send them in. But then if they get trapped and they don't finish the guys off, now, you're, now your cavalry is trapped in close combat and other people can jump in heroic combat and other people can jump in and, and start mauling your cavalry. So you've got to, again, that timing. And that I think is what makes the game, what makes the game really uh, fun to play. You know, I think, because that's not something, um, you know, I know that in uh, uh, the, there's the the operational series games again by GMT where they have their different types of combat: assault, maneuver, bombardment, and again, you're trying to find the best combination to accomplish things. This is kind of like that on a smaller scale because you know we're not fighting over Guadalcanal or something; you're fighting over a you know a muddy field. So, mm -hmm. uh, but again, that same sort of tactical puzzle. And I never felt like I don't I don't believe that any of the games are something that you can solve where you say. Oh, I solved this puzzle. I just go around the flank and kill that guy, and it's over. Because there's so many variables. There's so much. Um, 
there's you know so much die rolling, so many things that can happen. You know, hero, heroes can appear at different times uh, that it's kind of hard to predict, and so it makes you sort of you know try to work. The, you know, one of the things that came out of the research was how often a battle would be going a certain way, and then the leader would get killed. And so then, then you, then the you, you know, your whole army falls apart because your leader's dead. And one of the things that you know, again, the playtesters commented on, and I, I, and I say it in my notes. I don't apologize. Is that that's you want to simulate this period? That's what it was. So you might be winning the game, and they kill your leader, and all of a sudden you're on your heels again. Um, you know, and people say, well, that's stupid. You know, how come my, you know, they're just going to kill my leader? Well, I go, well, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's how the battles were. So. Um, again, from a simulation aspect, that was exactly what I was going for. So, um, you know, that, I think that I think that those are the elements that uh, 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 really make it, you know, really make it something that I, I think kind of stands out in the in the field of hex encounter wargaming. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so there are there are eleven scenarios in the scenario book: two Camlands and uh, a number of other battles. Do you have a favorite of all those? Um, probably, probably. I mean, I could. I, there, there's things that I love about all of them. Uh, that I think my favorite scenario of all is probably the second Camlin scenario, where you have a British contingent and a Saxon contingent both fighting Arthur. Mm. Um, that one, uh, I think, again, it's it's a it's a good manageable size. You have elements like that in some of the later scenarios, but the scenarios get bigger as you go, so it, it get a little bit more unmanageable. That one's a very manageable size, but you've got just about every unit type in the game, uh, just about. Um, and again, it's a, it's an interesting tactical puzzle, um, and I mean, it's a lot of fun. And again, I again, I love Arthur. So just anytime you have Arthur there, that's uh, you know, um, I. The the um the other Arthur scenario is the Bathe and Hill scenario, and that's not a bad. I, I had fun with that one, but it doesn't have quite. The, I like the, the 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 straight on just shield bashing of the Camelon scenario myself. I think it's just a better um, better contest. Um, I liked the Argoid Lafuene uh, uh, Lafuene scenario because again, it's small, but you have it is one of the purest examples of like a British army, even if it's small. And a, one of the, you know, ex, like a, ex, it's just sort of a, a, an example of, a, of an Anglo-Saxon army, as I depict it, um, going head to head. Um, and so I think it's it, it's and there's also some poetic uh, evidence about the battle that I read. Just, and I tried to, you know, make it, you know, correspond or at least reflect that. Um, so that was a, that's, that was the one that I would always use as an example. And when I was first showing the play testers. That's the one that we played a lot um, to get things nailed down because it had all the elements. Um, and then uh, uh, I think that I really enjoyed the Dirham's uh, uh, scenario. That was one of the first ones that I designed. Um, but in terms of, because they get bigger, in terms of sheer size, Degsistan is just, I think, uh, uh, as pro that's probably my, that may be my favorite scenario. But it's so big that compared to the other ones, again, you have everything. That's just about every unit in the game. Um, you have, uh, you know, a small force on the hill holding out so the other guys come and rescue them. There's a lot of drama. Um, it's that one was a lot of fun to play test. Um, 
And not, not necessarily my favorite historical situation. Um, you know, I like this, the earlier stuff with the British and Arthur and whatnot, but in terms of just scenario design and for just sheer over the top craziness of pushing the design limits of the rule set, you know, I think to it's to just the reductio ad absurdum. That was about it. You know, it was, a uh, that was, a, that's about as far as you can take this rule set, I think. And it was, but it's fun. It's a good time. So, you know, it's a big yeah. scenario. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, is there anything you'd do if you were doing it all again, the whole process from the beginning? Is there anything you'd do differently? Or I guess I'm sure there's something you would do differently. So, what is it that you would go about? I think, um, I think the things, most of it's in terms of gameplay, in terms of, you know, uh, the, the, the play testing, the process of the design, the research. I mean, honestly, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, I just, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed researching the period. It was, it, sometimes it got to feel like it work, especially with some of the archeological texts because they're very dry, um, but it was very important and, and it's still interesting. Um, when I, you know, if you look on Board Game Geek, some of the people, uh, two of the complaints that have come up, which I acknowledge, one of them is the idea of heroic combat and then you have heroic challenges and you have heroic units and you have heroic units are the only ones that can issue heroic challenges, but anybody can participate in heroic combat. And that caused some confusion. So one thing that I'd probably do differently is I would rename heroic combat and just call it close combat or something else. And I even said in my notes why I didn't just because I wanted people to know this is where heroes, this is why it's called heroic combat. This is what they did. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, just for sheer uh, playability and introducing new gamers and whatnot um, to avoid confusion, I would probably try to come up with another name. Uh, and the other thing is, I, I think it's the very first scenario um, where you have the British and the Saxon uh, armies right at the river, and everybody starts uh, at the same distance from the river. And some people, some players, you know, wrote in and said, whoever attacks first is at a big disadvantage because they end up in the river. So nobody wants to go in the river. So both sides just kind of sit there staring at each other. And how do you resolve this, um, you know, this sort of impasse here, this de detente. And, uh, and the, the funny thing about it is that when I, so the, the whole idea for me when I'm playing the game, again, a role-playing aspect is this idea of heroic combat. These guys are there because they want to fight. I mean, it's it's hard to put your mind in this mindset, but for the most part, these guys were professional warriors. They This is how they gained renown. This is how they gained plunder. This is how they made a living. And if you don't fight, you don't get paid. I mean, and it was, and it was about glory. It was about all these things. So this was the attitude that we had when we were play testing. And again, I didn't, I didn't really do as much blind testing as I should have the my play testers played it a little bit without me, but for the most part, we played together. And so, so they knew everybody was in the same mindset, which was let's get it on. I mean, it doesn't, it's not even about victory. It's about, you know, just going out there and doing what needs to be done. And so thinking about it from the standpoint of, of a player who's not necessarily in that same bloodthirsty mindset as we were when we designed it or when I designed it, um, you know, somebody's looking at it and saying, if I do this, I'm not going to win the battle. And you go, these guys didn't even, some of them didn't even care about winning. They, they don't care about winning the battle. They care about individual glory. They care about just being tough and showing everybody how tough they are. Even if you lose, the fact that you showed up is just, it's great for these guys. 
it's a very strange mindset. And how do you convey that to people? Um, you know, I, I tried to in the notes and whatnot, but I think that what I would do differently to answer your question is that I probably would have adjusted the setup of, of, of a couple of the scenarios, realizing that some people are going to be looking at this from the standpoint of gamers and not necessarily at the standpoint of fifth century warlords, you know, just trying to maul everybody. So, mm. you know, again, I, I encourage anybody who plays it to just to, to, to throw some caution to the winds. Don't worry about it. Don't say, Hey, I might lose because you know, you do everything right. And if your leader gets killed, you're going to lose. So, you know, you've got to go out there and just be tough and just grind and, and, you know, but at the same time, realizing that gamers are, there's a lot, there's a wide range of what people are looking for. Some people are more competitive than others. We weren't competitive at all. With the people that I played with, we were all good friends. We weren't even trying to win. We were trying to design the game and make it fun. And so there was no question of what's the smartest tactical thing to do. It was just how many guys can I bash before they get me, um, you know, which was, I think, the appropriate attitude. But if you don't feel that way, then you have to, you know, I would try to accommodate those gamers as well. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, do you have plans? I guess, uh, or if you, you feel like you don't have to, if you do have plans, you don't have to share them here or anything, but necessarily, but more games down the road, are you, is this going to become a, a kind of, I can't imagine there are that many people who get to, to full-time design games just because the hobby isn't that big enough to support the, that many people, but that, mm -hmm. uh, you have more in you, more another like a well. You talked about the possibility originally of going all the way through to the Viking Age. Is there like a, a battles for Prydain two that is Anglo-Saxons versus Vikings in the works or something like that? You know that that would um uh there were so so one of the things that I did consider was sort of um you know expansions or something you know because again the once you have the rules and you're happy with them, um, trying to just come up with new scenarios is comparatively easy. I feel like that one of the problems that you have is you don't have a lot of information about any of the of any of, any of these battles. So looking through this list in in Peter Marin's book, um, what the first thing that I did was I just started checking off battles, saying they don't know anything about it. They know they know the date because of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, and that's it. They maybe know the name of one of the guys that was there. You don't know the circumstances. You don't know where it happened. You know, so in a lot of the scenarios that I already designed, you know, a lot of it is is conjecture. You know, so you can say, hey, you want this to be a different battle? Just change the title. You know, I mean, you're, you're fighting because it's all or make up your own. Um, but there are some, uh, uh, and I, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm blanking, although I mentioned it in the notes, it's a battle and it was after this period, it was in 685 of Dunachin, I think it is where a, um, a group of Northumbrians rode into Scotland, uh, on a punitive raid and, um, got wiped out. And that was an, there's a, there's a comparative amount of information about that. We know some things about why they did it, what they were doing. It's later than this period, but again, it's a small, it's a smaller battle, we think. Um, and so I thought that was something that, um, you know, I could probably depict with this rule set, um, maybe with a few changes. And that was something that I always thought about doing. Um, I would need, I'd probably need a new map, but that's, you know, which is the hard part. Some of it is just the doing the graphic design part, which I can't do. I have to find a designer that I like. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually had a game that I wanted to do called Battle for Seattle. This was years ago, actually, about um, 
uh, and it was it was supposed to be fanciful about um, a revolt in Seattle. Um, I live near Portland, actually, it, oddly enough. And it only I only chose Seattle because it rhymes. And it was going to be uh, where President for Life Trump has to send in troops to quell sort of a commie revolt in Seattle. Um, and uh, again, I had some of it designed, but I never did it. Now, you know, I, I can't do President for Life Trump anymore, so I have to come <laughs> up with another one. But um, uh, that one I always thought would be fun. And I had a lot of the design work for that done. But then it's just between the, the, the time, one of the hardest things is uh, playtesting because you want to play test it and you want to try to eliminate perfect plans. You want to make sure the game system isn't broken. It takes a lot of time and a lot of insight and a lot of uh, humility. Um, and you have to have people that you know and can count on to, to play test and whatnot. And time is a, is a big commodity. That's part of the problem. So I always come up with ideas. It's, you know, taking them from the germinal stage all the way to publication or something is, you know, that's another, that's another story. So, yeah. Well, you got you got one more game design than I do, so that's that's always <laughs> cool. Um, so, all right, I think I think we have covered pretty much everything that I had um, question wise. So, shall we uh, leave off with uh, where is since surely after all this talk, there are going to be some people who are interested in Battles for Prydain. Where can they get it? What what do they do to get themselves a copy? Um, so, so it's actually, um, distributed through San Joaquin Valley press and it's San Joaquin Valley press. Is it .org? I have it. Yeah. I'll put a, I'll put a link in the description so that people can click on it. Yeah. So, um, so the, and it's just, it's just distributed from there, but I, I don't even have any copies. I've had people, you know, contact me and say, Hey, you know, I, I want to, I said, I don't even have any copies of it. Um, so yeah, so th so that's that's who's distributing it. Um, as, as a small publisher in, uh, in the San Joaquin Valley, um, and it's actually my my dad. <laughs> so, but he but he publishes he publishes some books and and he says, hey, I've got a website already. Why don't you just put your game there and I'll and I'll sell them from there. So um, yeah, and uh, you know so so we've got some copies left and it's uh, um, uh, free shipping in the United States. I know that he does that. So you know, and uh, I try to. Uh, as you've probably determined, I love talking about this stuff. I mean, I, I, it's it's not a topic that that goes very far at parties. I spent yeah. years reading about this stuff, and so when you find somebody who you know who actually shares that interest, you know. Um, but uh, uh, so I so I'm very open to ideas, to criticisms, to you know uh, anybody has who has any ideas. I'm on we're on Board Game Geek, so we try to support it. Um, you know, I'm, I can be contacted through there or however, you know, I'm fine with, uh, email or whatever. And, uh, you know, to answer questions or, or things like that about the design, because it's, it's my baby and I'm proud of it, but I want it to be good. And I want people to, to really enjoy it and get a feel, hopefully a feel for the period and, um, hopefully open, you know, open new doors and new, uh, you know, research and learning for people who look at this period and realize what a fascinating time it is. And, you know, um, you know, and try to realize how much how much we do know, even though we don't know a lot, we do know we do know quite a bit. It just comes from different sources. And that was the hard part was trying to synthesize all that and make something cohesive out of it. And, you know, you can look at the design and, and decide how you think I did. <laughs> yeah. All right.
Awesome. Well, uh, first off, thank you so much for oh, agreeing to, to come on and do this. I kind of figured that um, since you're not a professional game designer, you might enjoy the chance to talk about a game that I'm sure everybody you talk to normally has heard a lot about. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's one of those, uh, when I was very young, I was really into dinosaurs and my dad instituted no dinosaur days because I talked about it so much. So I figured it's probably something similar um, with with yes. your setup that getting to talk about it is is a lot of fun um but yeah thank you thank you so much for agreeing to come on and do this um it was really interesting to hear about the game um i cannot wait to get deeper into it and uh that's going to be a lot of fun so um what i will say for everybody who watches this um if you have questions for for ellie or for me i will put a link to the board game geek page um, in the description and to the San Joaquin Valley Press page in the description so that you can get the game or find people to talk about the game with or any of that sort of stuff um, and and figure out how to, to, to whatever your level of engagement is with um, this material, then uh, you can do that. Otherwise, um, if you want to get in contact with me, I am I'm on Twitter and YouTube and Anchor and all the regular places. So um, anybody who is just, you know, leave a comment. And uh, if it's a comment for Ellie, I'll pass it on and uh, you can answer any of that. Um, and then otherwise, I will just end with um, I've been Arlen Walker and I've been live from Pellance Wasteland and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.